We're getting ready to start a new book uh, of the Bible, and that book is Proverbs. And uh, this will be interesting because uh, when we conclude Proverbs, that'll mean our church has gone through the entire Bible. Now, we've actually gone farther than the entire Bible because we've started to repeat some in the New Testament, but uh, we've never covered the book of Proverbs. So uh, we're excited to do that. And uh, uh, actually, uh, Beck had to fill in tonight, and uh, we sang two songs that directly talked about and quoted the Proverbs, so that's interesting. Proverb, in the, the way we read it, is from the Latin, proverbial, but... Uh, in Hebrew, uh, it's a word that means to rule, to rule. And uh, these statements and things that uh, are written here are meant to rule and govern our life, govern our life, if I didn't say that clearly. That's what the Proverbs are all about. And this is a fascinating book. It's unlike any other book in the Bible. So let's just take a, a, a look at... Uh, some of the things that we need to know to get through this and enjoy and to be blessed by it. Remember this, Psalms is a book about devotion. Psalms is a book about devotion. It's the interplay between the believer and God. Everybody with me? It's this way. You would sort of, in a sense, read the book of Psalms on your knees because it would lead to worship and prayer. The book of Proverbs is a little different. You'd have your work shoes on <laughs> or your shoes that you would use to go about your daily functions, your jobs, your extracurricular. So it's a book of practical wisdom and ethics uh, that focuses on the life here on earth so that through our obedience and actions, we can glorify him. Everybody with me? So... What is a proverb? Well, first of all, I want uh, to tell you what a proverb isn't. A proverb isn't a guarantee. Nowhere in here is it guaranteeing uh, anything. Train up a child in the way it should go, right? Sort of things. Uh, work very, very hard and you'll always be prosperous and do well. Well, as Tim Keller points out, Ecclesiastes tells us that sin has entered the world, and sometimes in this world, because we live in a sinful world, we, with free will and other things, and bad actors and, and sin and bad characters, sometimes people who work hard their whole life, in the sense that we think, don't necessarily prosper. So a proverb isn't a promise guaranteeing an outcome. That's not what this is. And it's a figure of speech, a figure of speech in which the author is using comparison, comparison. You know here, don't you, that you're getting ready to read all kinds of poetry here over the next 31 chapters. This is poetry, and there is so much going on in the Hebrew language that we can't see because we're reading in the English. This is full of comparison and pithy, poignant observations or instructions. One commentator says this. Listen to this one. Proverbs is the most intensely practical book in the 
Old Testament because it teaches skillful living in multiple aspects of everyday life. Wisdom, folly, righteousness, wicked, tongue, the the tongue, pride, humility, and on and on and on, including uh, human relationships are included in the Proverbs. Chuck Swindoll, ever heard of Chuck Swindoll? He says this, Proverbs accomplishes something that no other biblical book does. It simply compiles numerous short instructions for living an effective life on earth. Who here wants to live an ineffective life? Raise your hand. Nobody wants to live an ineffective life. You want, and I want, to live a life glorifying the Lord and being very effective. And so, before we begin, that's something that we really need to know. What, what is the main theme of the book of Proverbs? The main theme, one word, clearly. Wisdom. Wisdom. And we're going to encounter that a number of times. Now, I have a few quotes up here I'd like you to take a look at. Let's make sure I have them in the right order. Yep. In Proverbs, wisdom, check this out. You ever thought about this? Mainly denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life. Who sometimes think this is a unbelievable maze? It helps us navigate through the maze of life so that one conducts one's life to the greatest benefit of oneself and the community. It's the way of eternal life. Through wisdom, one is able to read circumstances, interpret situations so as to act correctly, speak properly, respond appropriately to each situation so that benefits, beneficial consequences ensue to self and community. And this reveals a further understanding of wisdom, namely insight into this thing called the deed-destiny nexus. In fact, in 30, 24 through 28, it's depicted as the skill to survive, even when the odds are stacked against you, whoever needs that, right? As in the example of an ant, rock badger, locust, lizard. They're vulnerable creatures. They have almost no personal defense systems, yet by their wisdom they survive, and the lizard even lives in a palace. And so the point here is, is that wisdom, it gives you the skill to navigate life. Now here's another one from Charles Spurgeon, shorter. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and all are greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Spurgeon said that. Here's our final quote about what is wisdom. A guy named Douglas Moo, a theologian, says this, Wisdom is a divine grace that involves biblical insight to God's purposes and ways. Used rightly, wisdom provides the basis for a biblical outlook on life that leads to righteous living. But biblical insight into God and his ways is no more mere theoretical knowledge It's a true knowledge of the Holy One that moves us to appropriate a holy fear of the Lord. To gain this wisdom, we have to pursue it. To live in such wisdom, we must rely on God. And to learn such wisdom, we must preach Proverbs. I'm sad we've not done it till now. In the New Testament, 
you see this all the time. You see this. First of all, in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, brother or sister in the Lord, let you go ahead and ask of God who gives to everyone liberally, all of us liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James tells us to ask for it, seek after it. Ephesians 5 says this in 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as, say it with me, wise. And uh, I've, I could read you more from James 3, who is wise and understanding. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. And you could keep going there, 13 through 18. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And so you could keep going on and on and on. Jude 1.5, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And we know this, that the scriptures tell us that Jesus is wisdom. All wisdom is found in Jesus for us. Listen, Proverbs is really important. And when we get to the first verse, check this out. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. Now, who wrote the Proverbs? Well, even I'm smart enough to read it there. Solomon wrote lots of the Proverbs, but just like Psalms and David, he didn't write all of them. In fact, here's how you could break up or outline the Psalms. You ready for this? Just write this down, chapters 1 through 9, just write that down or think of it. We're going to go through chapters 1 through 9 tonight. It's the way of the wisdom by Solomon. And this is a really fascinating chapter, or excuse me, uh, piece of literature. And in fact, everybody in here, I'm not going to go through it tonight, but I have this amazing book, and I took it out of this book. Chapter 1 through 9 is a piece of literature. It's a style of writing. And uh, a guy named Leland Riken wrote a book on the literature of the Bible, and I gave you the excerpt from chapters 1 through 9, and it's really beautiful. And when you get home, you can check that out. But this is one section. Chapters 1 through 9 is one section of the book of Proverbs. Some people believe it's broken up, Proverbs, into five parts. Some say six, some say seven. Well, what's clear is there's an introductory paragraph, and that's, or Actually, I should say poetry, introductory poetry in verses 1 through 6. And then I want you to know this. From chapter 1, verse 7, all the way up to chapter 10, listen to this. It's these 10 different discourses from a parent, from a father to a son about the way of life that he's observed. Solomon, he's observed this. Now, who is Solomon? He's the what king, what numbered king of Israel. 
First, second, third, stop me when I'm right. Third, you got it. He's the third king of Israel after Saul and David. And uh, he reigned in the 900s BC. That's uh, when he reigned. And you know lots of the story about him. When it came to the end of his life, he had a kingdom and the kingdom split at the end of his life. And uh, Solomon started out very strong in the Lord, but what did he trust in? The thing that the Old Testament tells us or tells the kings not to trust in. He trusted in horses. He was a collector of horses. And he was a person who had, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the Bible talks right here in Proverbs. Uh, Solomon admits what's the thing that's blessed from the Lord, a marriage to one man, one man to wife. And we'll talk about that. That's a wise thing that the Lord has set up. But, but So Solomon started strong and ended not so strong. And he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that, that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, but the Holy Spirit put together 31 chapters here for us to know. And by the way, at the end of, uh, uh, of the book of Proverbs, you have uh, the words of Agur, or Agur, chapter 30, and the words of King Lemuel in chapter 31. We don't really know who those folks are. Hezekiah's men or sons in chapters 25 and 29 collected some of Solomon's sayings and put them together as Proverbs, but the main collection of the things that you think of as Proverbs, those short statements, are all found from chapters 10 through 24. So chapters 1 through 9, what we'll see tonight, is a special piece of literature. Chapters 10 through 24 are what you think of as the Proverbs. Let me read you a couple things quickly about the literature, because I'm fascinated by it because we can't see it here in the English. But as I told you, the prologue here, the first part consists of 10 lectures by a father and a mother. Some say the father and the mother are fictional. Some say, no, the father and the mother are Solomon and his wife Bathsheba. And he, um, what's that? I can't hear you. I can't hear her. <laughs> you got to say it louder. Oh, what did I? Oh, right, 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 right. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, not Bathsheba, right? But anyway, his wife. Uh, and then there's two sermons by uh, woman wisdom at the end of the uh, chapters. But what I like about this is after chapter uh, 9, most of the Proverbs are things called aphorisms. Just real quick, a little short observation that contains a general truth uh, or epigrams, sayings or remarks expressing an idea in a clever or amusing way, right? And so uh, these aphorisms, um, why do you think they're short and small and catchy? Why? What would the purpose be? Yeah, so you could remember them. And all societies, I mean, you can look throughout all societies. Everyone has uh, uh, 
you know, sort of their own ones, and you could think of ones here in America. Uh, so we don't get to those short sayings until chapter 9. Right now, we're just into a piece of literature. And I came across something that Warren Wearsby wrote about what would our responsibility be as we read through, um, as we read through uh, 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 the Proverbs. By the way, they do say it's Bathsheba. It's just his mother. Sorry about that. Not his wife. Right. I get you what you're saying. But anyway, uh, what, look what Warren Wearsby says. I, I wrote this up here for all of us to sort of uh, uh, read through and think through. What applies to the Proverbs, study of Proverbs, applies to the study of any book in the Bible. Unless we are spiritually prepared, diligent, disciplined in study, and obedient to what God tells us, we won't really understand very much of God's word. A willingness to obey is essential, John 7, 17. E.W. Robertson said that obedience is the organ of, or, organ, excuse me, of spiritual knowledge. How about this, what Warren Wearsby says, the Holy Spirit teaches the serious, not the curious. Did you catch that? <laughs> well, I won't say the whole part again, but I will say this. The Holy Spirit teaches the serious, not the curious. Now, that's fascinating. In fact, in one of the Proverbs, it says that it's the glory of a king to search out a matter. We're to dig for gold here, folks. We're to be diggers. We're to be searchers. We're to be Bereans so that we could find uh, gold here, and we will as we move forward. Well, let's go through the prologue real quick. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. What is this whole thing about? Here it tells us, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase learning. Now, I got a little litmus test for you. You might be saying to yourself, wow, I've read through Proverbs before and I don't get it. And I'm sort of just here on a Wednesday night and oh well. I'll check back in at around 8.15. But see, I think if we studied it together in a serious manner, look what we could have, real wisdom. By the way, do you know in James chapter 3, I should have read it to you, but it, there's, it talks about earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is dark and evil and sensual. Come on, folks. I mean, that sort of wisdom is everywhere. And the wisdom that's from heaven is peaceable and righteous and is good fruit. And so, look, if we're serious and not just curious to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, and to try to understand this book. Look, he'll give prudence to us, the simple, and to the young men, knowledge and discretion. You say, well, I'm not really young, and I would raise my hand at that. Yes, but you're teaching young men. Your life counts for young men. And a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. One thing that the Bible calls us to is to never stop learning. We're to be learners and growers 
And the Lord will supply understanding and give wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here is the key to the whole book. Here it comes. This is it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just remember that verse. Memorize it. One writer says this, what the alphabet is to reading, what notes are to music, and what numbers are to math, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we got to figure out what the fear of the Lord is. And there's several definitions. And most of you know this. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe of God. It's enthroning God in your heart, in my heart. And, you know, a number of people will enthrone God in their hearts on Sunday and Wednesday. But what about the other days? Or they'll enthrone God in church. But what when you're around your golfing buddies? Where does God reside? And the Lord here is calling all of us to enthrone the Lord in our hearts with fear and knowledge. G. Campbell Morgan gives the best little thing, a uh, little uh, uh, paragraph about this kind of fear that we're supposed to have. G. Campbell Morgan says there are two kinds of fear with respect to God. One is a fear that God might hurt us, a fear experienced by those who are trying to run from God. But the fear spoken of here in verse 7 of chapter 1 is the fear, listen, that we might hurt him. That something we do might offend God or might grieve his loving heart in his concern for us. In other words, this sort of fear is a reverence and a respect for God. So when you read that, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. For us who've been, who've been uh, saved by the blood of Christ, our fear is not that he would hurt us. It's that we would strike at the heart of his grace and his heart in response to the gospel. That's the loving relationship that we live in. Well, watch this. What are the things that make up wisdom? What are the things that God wants to tell you about wisdom? Well, watch. From here to chapter 9, he tells us. He says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. You understand this, right? Moms and dads, you're to be growing up your kids in the things of the Lord, especially the word of the Lord. When they go to sleep, Word of the Lord. When they wake up, word of the Lord. When you're going by the highways and byways of life, word of the Lord. It's a thing that you delight in and you love and you experience at home. I have to tell you, if you want to bless yourself and see what a home should look like, you grab the book downstairs by Elizabeth Elliot and his mom, and, or, with uh, respect to her mom and dad, and the home that they created, and you go, Wow. This is how the Lord did it with her. Because the mom and dad taught the word. And if you do it in the right way, with a right relationship, because remember, 
Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. But if you have a relationship with the one you're discipling, it's going to be a graceful ornament on the head and chains about the neck. It's going to be beautiful. My son, if sinners entice you, first thing, first thing, what is Solomon, well, actually, Solomon may be passing on from what he's heard from his dad, David. But Solomon passing it on, don't forsake the law of your mom, the things that your dad instructed you. Be careful when sinners call you out to come walk with them. Don't consent. If they say come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. In other words, be careful about walking with the wrong crowd. If you're wise, you will be careful and teach people to be careful about walking with the wrong crowd. Now, remember, we live in a world that's broken. So sometimes even when we teach, people have free will. But the whole, like those who go down to the pit. How about this? We'll find all kinds of precious possessions. When we get off the wrong path and get with the wrong peoples, some of those folks believe and can try to entice us to believe in possessions even more than the things of the Lord, that possessions are more important. My son, look at verse 15. Don't walk in that way. Keep your foot off their path. Don't get down their path. What did Jesus say about paths? There's a real narrow way and there's a real broad way. And what are we doing for ourselves first, we're learning to go the narrow way. But as we go, we're bringing our families, our friends, the people we're discipling, we're trying and helping to train them to go in on the narrow way. And it's going to take wisdom and strength that the Lord provides. So keep on that path that's with the right crowd, that's not concerned just with possessions and have no interest, look at this, in shedding blood because some people do. They wait and lie in wait and they're greedy for gain, verse 19. Well, watch this, it shifts. It goes to wisdom personified now. Look what wisdom does. You see, folly or evil lurks in the dark. Wisdom calls aloud outside, in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourse at the opening of the gates in the city. This is out in the open. Wisdom personified as a woman. How long, simple ones, gullible ones, are you going to just love simplicity or scorners in scorning or fools who hate knowledge? You have to respond to wisdom. Look at this, verse 23. Turn at my rebuke. Point Wisdom points people to a spiritual experience with the, excuse me, an anguish come upon you. Look, they'll call on me, but I won't answer. Wisdom won't. But the Lord tells us also, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Look, because they hate knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. In other words, enthrone God in your heart, reverential awe that place where you don't want to hurt the Lord. Choose that. 
Therefore, look at this, 31, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. And that actually means at ease. Who here wants to be at ease? Yeah, I want to be at ease. Well, we move into chapter 2, chapter 2 here. You know, this chapter tells us that to have wisdom, you must receive it or accept it or respond to it. It hits this home. If you receive my words, if you treasure my commands, you incline your ear to wisdom, apply your hearts to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, what's one thing you could pray about every morning? You see this? It's building your prayer life right here. Lord, I need much discernment in my life. I want to be able to navigate the different situations that come to me that are really sort of up and down and I'm unsure about. Lord, I need your wisdom, not my wisdom. Help me here to honor you and to pick the right path. I'll cry out for it, and I lift up my voice for understanding. Seek her like money, silver. Search for her like hidden treasure. Watch this. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So determine to find it, the fear of the Lord, and you will find it. The Lord will give it because he says in James, do you believe it? I'll give wisdom liberally and without reproach. Do you know what that means? I always say this, but you ever had that one kid in your house that you put them to bed and they want to drink a water? And you're like five times as you're walking up the stairs, you need a drink of water? No, don't need a drink of water. You brush your teeth? Yeah, brush your teeth. Everything good? You gone to the bathroom? Yep. Yeah. I'm going to put you in bed, right? And you're going to go to sleep. Oh, yeah. Go away. Ah, I need a drink of water. Listen, after about the... 10th day in a row of that, I began to reproach my kid. What are you doing? I just asked you 15 times if you needed a drink of water. I said, did you brush your teeth? I said, did you go to the bathroom? That's reproach. Guess what the Lord says? He won't do that to you. He says, keep coming. Keep coming. He wants you to learn the lessons, but he says, keep coming. Isn't that beautiful? So here, Cry out for it, and you're going to get understanding, or you're going to begin to understand the fear of the Lord. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge, verse 6. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice. Then you're going to understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. And now from 11 through 22, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant, to your soul, discretion will preserve you. And for the next 10 verses or so, it talks about how knowledge, or excuse me, wisdom can keep you from the evil-minded, immoral woman, or in the opposite sense, from the immoral man. Wisdom gives you that sense, and you can read through that. And then in chapter 3, this is guidance for the young person. Here's the first thing that you and I and we 
should be striving for with the young people. You know, okay, so Beck and some others are over there doing their thing over there. There's some Sunday school teachers here in the back. They're not, they're Wednesday school teachers, I guess, here in the back. And they're doing their thing over there. And yes, I understand some kids have a short attention span. But you know what they're prayerfully doing right now? They're getting the word of God into those kids. They're having fun. They're doing all those sorts of things. But their goal is to get the word of God into those children. Not just to be, have moral robots. We don't want moral robots in our church. Do it because you should do it. Like, do it because, you know, I said so type of stuff. We want grace-responding Christian kids that respect and love the Lord, and that's the reason they obey and do the right thing. Amen? Oh, by the way, that's the same thing for us. And so, look here, chapter 3. First things first. Us and then the kids around. Don't forget the law. Keep your commandments in your heart. Memorize Scripture. Are you memorizing scripture at your house? Bind them around your neck. And then this most important verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You could be praying this tomorrow morning. Lord, help me to trust in you with all my heart. When you pray that, guess what has going to happen for you? Don't be surprised. You're going to have circumstances that enable you to trust him more and more. Things that you might not be able to figure out. Things that are tough or mountainous and you have to go over. But what are you going to need to do? And what am I going to need to do? Trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him everywhere you go. And he'll direct your paths. And don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Honor the Lord with your possessions. That's a wise thing to do. You know, if your kids are working and they're young, if your kids are working and they're young, <laughs> wherever they go to church, start have them tithing their own money, not your money. <laughs> have them learn to honor the Lord with their possessions. That's a big thing, I think. And you do it and talk about it and not in a bragging way, but talk that through. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats with overflowing with new wine. And then here's another thing that makes us and young kids wise. It goes hand in hand with the wisdom of God. Chastening. We can't just be people that pat little kids on the head. You know, I, I had the opportunity to coach basketball a couple years ago. I hadn't coached basketball in a long time. And I was shocked at the ability of young people to handle chastening. Because quite frankly, when I coach, there's a lot of chastening. And I was shocked. It was a different world. There's a different thing. And I want you to know here that the Bible says a wise person leans in to the chastening of the Lord. They listen. They don't get their necks stiff and turn and walk away. They listen to what the Lord has to say. They, they seek the Lord in the chastening. That's what wise people do. Us first, and then our young people. Don't despise the chastening, 
You can even see it in Hebrews 12, 8. That means we're actually children of God if God chastens us. Praise the Lord when God chastens us. It means you're a son or a daughter because whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he is light or in whom he delights, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Do you want to be blessed and happy? Well, find wisdom, the ability to navigate, rightly divide the word, be nimble in the chastening. That's wisdom. Man, wisdom is better than gold or any sorts of things, and length of days is in her right hand. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Now, I could do a whole thing, but I'm not going to. Remember, there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life. Remember, they put the flaming swords around it so nobody would grab it and be permanently in that sinful state. That's a whole thing that we could do, but we won't do that right now. But wisdom is a tree of life. And if, as you read the rest of chapter 4, you'll see all the benefits of wisdom. Look as you go on to chapter 4 here. It says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. I give you good doctrine there in chapter 2. Look down here. Verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she'll promote you. Wisdom matures you. She'll bring you honor. You embrace her. She'll place in your head an ornament of grace. Oh, my goodness, folks. You ever just met those people you come in contact with and you just know? They haven't said it yet, but you know boy, that person's a Christian. And they're that person that's just so full of grace. And I don't mean just patting you on the head, excusing everything, but a person who speaks truth and speaks love and gives off life and refreshment and encouragement unto everyone that comes in contact with him or her. Well, here the Bible tells us that wisdom added to the uh, Christian is something that makes us beautifully graceful. It's a crown of glory. She'll deliver it to you. And look down in verse 12. When you walk, your steps won't be hindered. And when you run, you won't stumble. You're free when you have wisdom. You're nimble. You're free. You're flexible. Don't enter the path of the wicked. Get on the narrow path there in verse 14. The path of the just, this is the important verse of this chapter, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. It's a lifelong process of growing in wisdom and grace. When we're on the path and you're a shining sun to a really dark world, folks, that's wisdom. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Watch this, 22, for their life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Look at this. Here, here, folks, here's another important verse. Keep your heart with all diligence. Be diligent to keep your heart, for out of it springs the issues of life. So we're not to have certain type of heart. 
We're not to have a hard heart, the Bible tells us. We're not to have a double-minded heart, but a single-minded heart. We're not to have a proud heart. Who here struggles with pride? We're not to have an unbelieving heart or a cold heart or an unclean heart. But I also would say that you would keep your heart and not give it away in romance too early. How do you keep with all diligence your heart? Well, one way is found in the book of Philippians. Write this down. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What is that in the context of? Prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication. All peace, God's peace, will guard your hearts. So, what does a wise person do? He puts away deceitful mouth. Rather, he speaks gracefully, or she. There's nothing perverse that comes from them, and their eyes look straight ahead. Do you catch that? The mouth, the eyes, you see that? And the heart. Keep those things. Keep them for the Lord. And again, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways establish. Now here it comes. In chapter 5, he talks about the peril of adultery. Here's the second time now. You catching this? Solomon knew. Folks, and if you go out into society now, just, I I said this the other day, just turn on an NFL football game, and you're going to come across something very seductive during commercial time. And it's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on the radio. It's in magazines. It's on your iPhone. It's everywhere. And here, the Bible tells us to pay attention to wisdom and lend your ear to understanding why. For the lips of an immoral woman woman drip honey, and I would say an immoral man too. And her mouth is smoother than oil, sharp as a two-edged sword. Listen to that. What else is called a two-edged sword in the Bible? What? The Bible itself. And her tongue is like that. It's very sweet and sounds good. And if you keep going on, it says that this will ultimately lead to death and destruction. And what's the antidote, especially for those that are married? Drink water from your own cistern. And what, verse 15, running water from your own well. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Solomon here, who's going to find out that he didn't do a very good job in this area, recognized and understood that godly living romantically is between one man and one woman forever. And he said that. And you keep going. Chapter 6. Here, real quick. 6, 1 through 5. Talk about unwise financial commitments. Being surety for a friend. Don't do it. Don't make unwise financial commitments because it's a symptom of you being unwise in other areas of your life. In verses 6 through 11, don't be Lazy, work hard. Just because you're a child of the king doesn't give you a right to go to work and sit on your butt all day. No, to work hard and worship is unto him. And then the Lord reveals something that wicked men are a worthless people. They walk with a perverse mouth. They don't talk with grace. They wink with their eyes. In other words, they're not sincere. 
and calamity will come upon them. And then, this is very famous, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood or hate people, as Jesus would say, a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift and running to evil and a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discords among brother. And you say, oh, come on, this, come on. I heard all this before. I, I get it. You know, I'm a guy. I, I, I come to church on Wednesday night for Pete's sake. Really? Then why is pornography rampant? <laughs> and it's rampant in the church, by the way, folks. So even just that one thing, that one issue, tells me that what we're doing at church, you know, the church at large, not just this church, what we're doing as a church is we're just playing. Because the Lord says these are th things that he hates, even hearts, or excuse me, feet that are swift and running to evil. And we got pornography that is so rich or so much money's being spent on it, even in the church, tells me we're just playing. And then he goes on and he says again for another time, beware of adultery. And that's basically 20 all the way until the end of chapter 6, including Verse 27 that says, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? If you keep messing with it, it's eventually going to burn you. Here's seven. Keeping his commandments means you'll have life. Not keeping his commandments means you'll have death. He goes on and he speaks again about a crafty harlot. Do you think that Solomon knew how devastating it was to engage in inappropriate romantic and sexual practices. And Paul brings it out in the New Testament. And yet, some of the things that goes on, even in the church, here, the crafty harlot, you play with sin. Look in verse 27 of chapter 7. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Sexual sin is deadly. Chapter 8, wisdom is excellent. He extols the excellence of wisdom. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? Wisdom again personified. And he goes on and he talks about the characteristics of wisdom. And one of the things that you want to note in verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way. See verse, or chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord. That wise people who fear the Lord hate evil. You say, oh, I hate evil. Really? Just tell me, don't tell me, Tell me what your favorite sitcom is or show on TV. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> I mean, somebody might be tempted to say something like Friends. You ever watch Friends? Oh, my gosh. All they do is glorify 
sex outside of marriage, sex with everybody, sex, 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 sex. It's funny and it's cute and the characters are funny. But the fear of the Lord is to not like what he doesn't like. Pride and arrogance and the perverse mouth. Look at that. I hate. Even the things that we engage in, you see, and put into our minds. And I'm hopefully, I don't even think I'm very legalistic. I'm just responding to what the Lord asked us to do. Well, anyway, you could keep going, and it's all the characteristics of the wisdom, including, look in verse 22, the Lord possessed me, possessed me, possessed who? Possessed wisdom. The Lord had wisdom at the beginning of his way, and it talks about at the beginning of creation, verse 27, when he prepared the heavens, wisdom was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, wisdom was there. And look in verse 34, blessed is the man who listens to me, who? Wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my door, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me hate wisdom, love, death. And now chapter 9. Chapter 9, what does wisdom look like? And you can read right there, whoever is simple... Verse 4, let him turn in here. You'll get smart. As for him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine. Forsake foolishness, live and go in the ways of understanding. And look in verse 10. Here's a little different spin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But look, it's the knowledge of the Holy One. Remember, I always tell you this. I know you're sick of me saying it, but it just hits me so much. You know the song we sang here last Sunday or maybe a couple Sundays ago, I can't remember, it sort of blends, but he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. I had someone one time in the first beginning of the church say, I don't want you to ever play that song in here. It has no theological value whatsoever. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, I am shocked because that song is it. He tells you, he's, you're his own. That's it. That you would have knowledge of the Holy One. And that's where you gain understanding when you walk with him and you talk with him. And you dig into his word and your days are multiplied, etc. But look at this ends up this, the way of folly. Folly is personified now as a woman. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet. And if you went back to chapter 5, verses 15 through 18, this is clearly talking about the benefits of a marriage, one man to one woman, versus the way of the wicked who go outside of the marriage. Stoling water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he who does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. In other words, back in chapter 5, Marriage is like a feast. Adultery is like a funeral. That's what he's saying here. And so as we close tonight, 
You know what I'm just so struck by as I studied the Proverbs? God grows us in his grace as we get to know him, as we respond to the love that he has for us and the gospel. But the Bible tells me in Hebrews that I, we, all of us, are to pursue peace and holiness. Do you know you are righteous, but that you're still to pursue holiness? Without which we won't see the Lord. Listen, it's all about Jesus. But I wonder if I'm paying attention enough to the wisdom that the Lord wants to give me so that I can navigate life in relationships, in circumstances, in different things that I walk through. And I wonder if I'm hearing and then laying my life down and being obedient to the things that God's calling me to. And the reason I say that is just because of what I mentioned earlier. There's the things in here, it tells us the Lord hates and the Lord loves, and yet I see a church in some ways is living just like the world. May it not be so. May each of us cry out to the Lord for the wisdom that he gives so that we would be right dividers of the word and also be people who not just hear the word, but obey it, really obey it, laying our lives down, our pride, until he comes back. Why? So that many more can come into the kingdom, that he would use you and me. Many would come before he comes back. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you for <laughs> the Proverbs. Whoa. You s wrote them through this guy, Solomon, who examined life and took a hard look at life. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be free as we choose your path, and yet be sober and vigilant and serious about obedience and sharing your love and your light to a dark and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.